You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Brought to you by Click Studios and Lutron Sensors. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Happy holidays. We hope that you and yours are having a wonderful holiday weekend wherever you are celebrating that with the people you love. And we're very happy that you have some time to listen in to our show today. We're going to try to make it special with some holiday tips and tricks to help you get through these next couple of holidays and get your home plans in place for improvements you want to make the coming year. Coming up on today's show, if you are taking a trip this holiday season, bed bugs are one souvenir you do not want to take home. So we're going to tell you what you need to know about these nightmarish little guys before you head on out to a destination this season. Ooh, Tom, you're giving me the willies. I can't even like talk about bed bugs without getting <laughs> Totally grossed out. I know. So I know. Gross, I started with the holiday, the holiday love, and I went right to bed bugs. <laughs> you went right there. You you just you just went right to it. All right. Well, let me sidetrack. Let's talk about heating. You know, this is the time of year where people really start to think about upgrading their heating systems because obviously it's cold outside. So we're going to have some tips on how to sort through all of those confusing acronyms like HVAC, BTUs, SEER. In case you don't know how that's spelled, it's S E E R, and all the other inhibitors to understanding those words that contractors just love to throw around as if they should mean something to you so that you can make the most energy efficient purchase possible. And also ahead, if a new kitchen is in your 2017 plans, there are four simple things you should check for to determine if the cabinets are of good quality. We'll share that tip just ahead. Plus, take your calls to 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. What are you thinking about today that has to do with your house? Maybe nothing, but I'm sure there's something. And if it's not today, this weekend, you're going to do a project. Uh, Maybe it's next month or next spring. You're thinking ahead to the projects you want to get done in the coming months and year. Give us a call right now. We'd love to get you started on the right foot at 888-MONEYPIT. Carl in Idaho is on the line with a furnace question. How can we help you? I just bought a house in uh, Idaho. I've been in it for two days now. The the furnace is a gas Lennox furnace. It's like in one of those high efficiency ones where your air inlet and outlet are all PVC pipe. But uh, the home inspector, when he inspected the house, he said, you have you know, like a 97% efficient furnace, but you have 50% efficient air ducts. Because this house was built in 1950, I doubt they've done anything with them since. So my question is, what do I do to bring those air ducts up to an efficiency more compatible with the furnace I have. Yeah. I mean, the solution to leaky ducts is to seal them. And it's very common that uh, HVAC ducts, especially in an older house, are going to be very drafty and very leaky. So it was astute of your home inspector to pick that up. 
Now, shockingly, duct tape is not designed to do this. Duct tape is not designed for ducks because it'll dry out and fall off and, and not be very effective whatsoever. There is a type of tape called UL-181 tape, which is a tape that is designed for ducks. More expensive, of course, but the adhesive on it is not going to dry and crack. There is, however, another way to approach this where you seal the ducks from the inside instead of the outside. And there's benefits to that because you don't have to worry about getting to every single seam because it's going to happen by pressurization. That process is called AeroSeal, A-E-R-O-S-E-A-L. And essentially the way this works is they apply a material to the inside of the ducts that sticks to the gaps. Wherever there's leaks, it fills it in. Have you ever had a leaking radiator on your on your car? Oh, yeah. I had one on my truck, yes. And if you drop a can of stop leak in there, what happens is it finds the holes and plugs them. And this works the same way. It's just a, it finds the holes in the ducts, the air leaks in the holes, and it plugs them. And it's a good quality product. There's You have to use their dealer. It's not a, certainly not a DIY. There's a great video online where the guys at AeroSeal work with our friends at This Old House and, and did sort of a complete sealing job and did before and after testing to see how well it worked. And it was pretty effective. So um, I would take a look at AeroSeal as one option. And then beyond that, you could think about doing some of this duct sealing on your own. Just use the right kinds of materials. You can use that UL-181 tape. There's also a duct mastic, which is kind of like a, a putty or a paste that you can use to seal ducts. But of course, that's a lot of work as well. And remember, you got to get to every single seam. Right. And if you can't find them, you can't reach them, then you can't get to them. But if it goes on the <laughs> inside, it will do it automatically. <clears throat> so I don't have to have my grandson crawl through the duct. Crawl, crawl he, through the duct? He ducks. would like to. No. <laughs> he probably would never come out. I'm sure he would, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend no. it. <laughs> All right. Well, you've been most helpful. I appreciate it. And uh, I got a lot of little things to do in this house, but that was one of my one or two uh, get knocked off. And I listened, I was hearing you um, a couple days ago when I was driving cross country in the truck, I was hauling my stuff. And um, so I thought to call. All right. And, and you thought, well, have you, you, if you've got some questions on the new house, you knew who to call. And Carl, I'm so glad you did. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Tristan, I was on the line with the flooring question. What can we do for you today? It's going to be um, laying down a laminate flooring. What is the most easiest way of doing it? The easiest way to do this, laminate floor is a good place to start because laminate floor doesn't it's not a floor that needs to be glued together. It usually locks together. The joints on the board usually snap together. So what you want to do, is this a fairly square room that you're working in, or is it an oddly shaped room? Well, I mean, I, I got to cut and measure, but for the most part, it is square. So what you want to do is just be conscious of where the seams on the flooring are going to end up. Because if you find the middle of the room, you'll start from there and you'll work out. But what you want to avoid is to have the boards that are up against the wall to be really narrow, like one-inch strips or two- or three-inch strips. So you want to decide whether you're going to start these seams right in the middle of the room or overlap with the first piece so that when you get to the edges of the wall, they're kind of even. And then the next thing is, um, since they all kind of lock together... You want to leave a little bit of a gap, like maybe a quarter of an inch between the edge of the laminate floor and the wall or baseboard molding itself. And then you're going to use a second piece of molding on top of that, like a quarter round or a shoe molding, to cover that seam. This allows the floor to expand and contract. And depending on the type of floor you purchase, some of them have an underlayment built into the panel itself. And in other cases, you put down an underlayment first, which could be like a very, very thin layer of foam. It helps to give the floor a little bit of give and comfort. Well, that's good to know. Thank you so much. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling. Bonus at 888 Money Pit.
You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. You guys, we're cruising towards a new year, so what can we do to help you get your house in tip-top shape, make all those energy-efficient improvements? Whatever it is, we're here to help. Let's make 2017 your home's best year. Give us a call, 888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. It's the travel season. Do you know what the signs are of a bed bug infestation? We're going to tell you what to look for before you step foot into your next hotel after this. You live in a body pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Today's Money Pit is presented by Mr. Beams, lighting solutions that can be installed in five minutes. No wires, no electrician, no kidding. Find Mr. Beams lights at major retailers and learn more at MrBeams.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. We hope you're having a wonderful holiday weekend, enjoying it with family and friends. All that hard work you put into decorating your house or your apartment. Just try not to think about the fact you're going to have to take it all apart <laughs> probably just a week or so. But enjoy it while you got it and give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT. So you guys... It's the holidays. I love Christmas trees. Everybody who knows me knows that I love gigantic Christmas trees. I mean, like the biggest, fattest, tallest for, you know, basically as tall as I can get into any living space. That's how big of a tree I'm going to get. And I can remember one of our first Christmases when we lived on 38th Street in the city. There used to be just like one tree vendor around us, and it was this local little flower shop. And I remember this guy who worked there, Ed and I walked up and we're like, oh, we want a tree I found. He's like, this is a U-tree. And we're like, we want to look at other trees. He's like, no, this is a U-tree. Picks (laughs) out our tree for us. And we walk it back up Lexington Avenue to our apartment. We get it upstairs and we untie it. And this tree is massive. I mean, it's fat and it's round. It's like the picture perfect Christmas tree. And it was great while it was alive. And then it died. And after the holidays, when I went to take the tree out, Literally, I could not fit it through my doorway. And then I kept thinking of how I was going to get down the flight of stairs, which we were on the third floor of a walk-up. And I'm like, I'm going to be dragging this thing, and I'm going to scrape up all the wallpaper and the paint. It's going to be a mess. Tom, I took a saw, and I cut the tree into sections. (laughs) 
Oh boy! <laughs> I cut it into like you know, like like slices, so it got like a little pie shaped one, and then a fatter one, and then a fatter one, until it was like this big skirt that I could just turn sideways and carry. Turned out it into the firewood. City. Well, you started your recycling. I helped recycling, out the really. city of New York, but it made <laughs> such a mess. I was to say, I can only imagine what a mess that was because uh, you know, as those trees die, all the needles just release and fall off, and they get all all over the place. You know, that's the only reason I like those Christmas tree bags. Come on, you know, you pull the bag up, and it like every branch just like pops through it right it doesn't catch them all but i figure it catches about half and that's that's a lot more a lot less than i have to clean up well you know what i've learned is i keep like a um like a canvas paint tarp or an old sheet that we don't use anymore and i'll lay that on the floor and then i pick up the tree and lay that on the sheet and then i wrap it up like a burrito and then oh, i carry it outside that way so the mess really is contained oh but you put that wait a minute, you put that down first before you set the tree up or you just do it at the end no no i lay it on the floor when i'm taking the tree down oh you just lay it down like uh sideways yeah i just lay it on the floor and then i pick the tree up i lay it on the sheet and then i wrap it up in that and then i carry it outside and then i sort of flick it off of the sheet and Wash the sheet and save it for next year. Did you figure that out after you had to disassemble the giant tree from your apartment? <laughs> after I cut the tree into sections and carried it out that way. Now I'm a tree removing genius, but then not so much. <laughs> now you got a good tip out of yeah. it. All right. 888 <laughs> Hey, if you've got a tip you want to share about your holiday decor projects, we'd love to hear it. The number is 888 Money Pit. Leslie, who's next? Hey, John, in New York, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Last week, I heard something about a guy talking about drainage issues in the basement, and you start talking about certain things to make sure with the gutters and uh, the, the footer drains and making sure the soil slopes away from your house. Yep. My situation's a little weird. I have a saltbox-style house, 1750 square feet. The very steep hill my house is built into. So basically, three sides of the base, two sides of the basement are partially in the soil. One side okay. butts up to the garage at the ground level on one side of the house. And one wall of the basement's below the ground completely. Mm -hmm. I have very good drainage. I want a hill, like I said. However, when it rains heavily, um, I do get that seep around the foundation. And my thought was, how do you slope soil away in a situation where there's an overwhelming grade from the property coming right up against the house? Yeah, that's a good point. So in your situation, the grade is is not as important um, as what you can do to intercept that runoff through your property. So two things. First of all, the, the advice that we gave you about gutters, that's really critical even in your situation. The gutters have got to be clean, free-flowing, and those downspouts have got to be discharging away from the house. In your case, you're going to probably want to go from the uphill side to the downhill side. You might want to run them underground through solid PVC pipe and have them break out the daylight somewhere on the downhill side. So you're really managing that roof water. In terms of the runoff, the way you handle that was with something called a curtain drain. Basically, it's okay. a trough drain, and it gets laid into the soil, and as the water runs down the hill, it falls into this drain, uh, and then it gets intercepted and sort of run around the house. Now, instead of going through all the work to construct a French drain where you have to dig trenches and use perforated pipe and stone and filter cloth. There's another type of a prefabricated French drain pipe that you can pick up at Home Depot, and it's made by NDS. It's an easy drain pipe, and you'll recognize it when you see it because it's a plastic drainage pipe that's surrounded with, it looks kind of like a packing peanut, and then there's a filter cloth around that. So they're one piece, they're modular, and you basically stack these up side by side and then put the soil back on top of them. It's a very fast, easy way to put that French drain in without going through all of the work that you would have to if you were building it kind of from scratch. So in your case, you have to put this drain in to intercept the runoff of the water, run it around the house, again, out to daylight, and then I think that your water problems will go away. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
Well, if you're traveling this holiday season, there's a good chance you'll be bringing some new things home with you. Let's make sure that bed bugs aren't one of them. Okay, guys? <laughs> bed bugs have made a huge comeback in the last few years. They don't spread diseases, but they do bite. And they do cause sort of itchy welts, and they're really hard to evict. So the key is really keeping them out to begin with. Yeah. Now, bed bugs, they're most likely to hitch a ride with you when you're traveling. So if you're staying at a hotel or another person's house this holiday, you want to make sure you know what to look for. Bed bugs, guys, they're flat and they're tiny and they're little insects and they're tan to brown in coloring. That is until after they bite and then they turn a reddish color. And I'm going to tell you guys, they turn red because they're filled with your blood. It's gross. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So here's what you want to do. When you check in, you want to sort of survey your hotel room uh, right away for any sign of an infestation. Keep an eye out for brown or red spots on the sheets or other fabrics and be alert for a musty, sweet odor. It's not something you want to smell around your bed because it might mean that bed bugs are present. No, when you get into your hotel room, take the sheets off the bed. Look at the mattress. This is what I learned from Hotel Impossible. You look at the mattress. You want to look at that little piping edge on the mattress's seams and you'll see like little brown dots or little, sometimes even bigger bugs like in that area. So I always immediately take the sheets off and start to take a look around. You also want to remember that they really do like to be close to their food source. So you want to make sure that you're looking around the bedding, looking around the floor, all the upholstered areas, and then don't put your luggage on the floor. Use one of those little luggage cart things if they have it. If not, keep it in the bathroom on the tile floor. I know it sounds weird, but truly, that's the best place for your suitcase. Yeah, and when you get home, you also want to inspect your luggage for the bugs. If you do see any signs of a bed bug, you want to get the pros involved right away. Treating an infestation is not a do-it-yourself project. It's something you need professional help for. So get in touch with a pro right away, and they will make them disappear. 888-666-3974. Give us a call right now with your next home improvement project question. Marilyn in South Dakota is on the line with a cabinet question. How can we help you today? A galley kitchen is very small. We just live in a small ranch, but I, uh, we put in quarter sawn uh, custom build cabinets with the crown molding to the ceiling, the French cabinets up to the ceiling and, um, or European style. And so we're going to be putting the house on the market. And my husband and I are having a little debate because I want to take them out and bring them with their quarter sawn solid Oak and, you know, we put them in years ago where if we had to repeat this again now, it would be like three times the cost. Um, and so I want to take them out, and I'm designing a new home. So, you know, I have the, the galley design sort of drawn in, and so we could put them basically in the same configuration with just a little bit more room on both ends for other living space. So I just wanted to get in your opinion on that. Sure. I mean, why not? You can basically disassemble it the same way that you assembled it. You mentioned that you have crown molding on the cabinets all the way up to the ceiling. That'd be the place to start. Uh, and I would take the doors off and take the molding apart, take the doors off next because you don't want to have to work on those cabinets with the doors on them. So I would take the doors off at the hinges, carefully pack them and store them and label them so you know which cabinet they go to. And then just start taking the boxes apart. Start with the wall cabinets and work your way down uh, to the base cabinets. And, you know, the difficulty of the project's going to be you know, totally based on how they put it together the first time. But hopefully you can get everything uh, apart pretty quickly. With just some, uh, you know, very gentle 
prying off of the molding and with uh, removing of those cabinets the same way they were assembled. They were probably screwed into the wall. You should be good to go. I would be be uh, careful that the wall cabinets are usually also screwed together, and so you may have to pull out more fasteners than you expect, but I certainly don't see any reason you can't disassemble them, especially given the fact that they're good quality cabinets and that you feel like there's a place for them in the new home. I've been wanting to kind of call about this, but we weren't sure until we uh, found out for sure we are going to be moving. All right. Well, it sounds like we've got a plan. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Hey, if you ever tried to buy a new heating or cooling system, you might find lingo like HVAC, BTU, and SEER just completely adding to your confusion. Well, we're going to sort out all of that confusing alphabet soup that gets in the way of shopping for energy efficient systems next. Hi, I'm Norm Abram from This Old House, and when we're working on our projects, we listen to The Money Pit. On The Money Pit Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home, by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, MoneyPit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T, MONEYPIT. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, are you deep in the midst of holiday baking? Is your oven showing it? Well, here's a quick recipe for an easy clean. You just want to make a paste of baking soda and water. Now, apply that paste and then scrub with a scotch pad. If you've got some stubborn stains, you can add some salt to the mix. Good natural oven cleaning recipe right there. And if your oven is self-cleaning, you won't need any paste. But make sure you run that cycle well before any big dinner parties are planned to avoid breakdowns. They're more likely to occur right after the cleaning cycle. So if it does look kind of gross and you're getting ready to cook that big holiday meal today or tomorrow, I would say wait 
wait until the middle of next week, then do it in case it breaks down. You at least have some time to fix it before the New Year celebration starts. All right, we've got Lita on the line with a question about moisture. What can we do for you today? I have a conventional uh, foundation, a house built in 1970, um, solid hardwood floors. And rain was collecting, pooling under the house. I think I've got that stopped. But I'm wondering, uh, before I got it stopped, there was this, like, powdery gray, um, like a milk mold or mildew. Not very wide, real narrow, and I'm wondering where that, um, what that is, and how to stop that if it comes back. Well, that's just a mineral salt deposit. Um, deposit. They call that like efflorescence, and that's generally when the water gets into the wall and then dries out. You're left with just the mineral laying on your wall, and that gives it sort of like a cloudy, grayish, you know, look to it. And it's actually easy to get rid of, especially if the water situation has fixed itself. What you would do is you take a little bit of white vinegar and water, and you can mix it in a spray bottle, and you put it right on that, and it wipes right away. Okay. Well, good luck with that project. I hope that helps you out. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Well, there's a lot of jargon in the world of HVAC, including those four letters themselves, and all this confusing alphabet soup sometimes gets in the way of shopping for, maintaining, or fixing your heating and air conditioning system. Well, here to tell us how to decode the HVAC lingo is Richard Guthui, the plumbing and heating contractor on TV's TOH. This old house that was. <laughs> Giving away all the secrets? I can't do that. <laughs> Hi, Richard. Hey, how are you? So, it's a question um, that we hear a lot. What are all of these letters mean in the acronyms that are associated with your heating and air conditioning system. So let's start with the basics, HVAC. It is like alphabet soup, isn't it? It is. It really is. HVAC, so that's heating, ventilating, air conditioning. And so so we've shortened it to HVAC, uh, but it's sort of the all-encompassing world of I'm going to heat it, I'm going to cool it, I'm going to put some fresh air into it. And that's part (laughs) of what confuses people, because I think that folks don't recognize the importance of the V part of that, which is ventilating. Yeah, ventilating is critically important uh, to get fresh air, particularly as we make these buildings much tighter. Now, there's a lot of other acronyms. Oh, yeah. There's a whole book of them. So let's talk about them. I hear the term MERV a lot. I loved him. Yeah, Merv Griffin. He was so great. Yeah. Yes. He used to have Charo on all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so Merv actually stands for Minimum Efficiency Reporting Value. And this is an important measurement for how good is a filter. And there's a, there's a test standard. And so you'll be looking for um, some ratings that run, run from Merv 1 to Merv 16. But most of them are sitting, the decent ones are all sitting at Merv 7, 8, and 9. Now, when you have a higher resistance, be careful. If I have one that's got so much resistance that every bit of dirt gets sucked, gets, gets absorbed in it, it might be so hard to push air through that I have to have a bigger blower and it doesn't work. So you have to, this number, just getting the highest number is not the, the answer. You've got to get the, the right answer. Right. right, so you have that right combination right. Right. Um, of efficiency yeah. um, and airflow. Now, what about SEER? That's another common one, S-E-E-R. That's an important number that is often used when you're buying an appliance because it's usually stuck on a yellow label in front of it. Yeah, in the efficiency world, there's all sorts of SEER. There's an E-E-R and there's a so seasonal energy efficiency ratio. So that's SEER, S-E-E-R. And then there's the energy efficiency ratio. And there's a million of them that all talk about how efficient it is. And so one is how much of the fuel that I bought and burned became usable heat. But the seasonal energy efficiency ratio is really about how 
over the course of a season, and hence the word season, how efficient will be. So it takes into account weather occurrences in the, that it was tested under. And so when you're talking about air conditioning, they're going to measure the air conditioning condenser outside. Now, there was a time that we had, we had SEER 8 and 9, and now we have minimums of 13, uh, 13 SEER. Now, 13 SEER... Uh, is 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 what you want as a minimum. It gets up to 18. It gets up to 22. And I got to caution you that as you get higher efficiency, the right. units get physically bigger, bigger, oh, bigger, right? bigger, bigger. Because they're trying. The way that they're doing it is they're dividing the the amount of cooling power divided by the electricity. So if they can have a much bigger fan that has just a gentle motor in it then it's going to have less electricity and more return. I think I got one of the first SEER 16 yes. uh, condensing yeah. units. Yeah. This is probably eight yeah. years ago. Was it Was it big? It's as big as my house. Yeah, so right. I have this super tiny little Dutch Colonial yeah. with this enormous yeah. condensing unit outside. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of comical. Yeah. As Tommy Silver would say, more is plenty. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of more, let's talk about AC tons. I think people oh, think yeah. that there's, yeah. you know, the weight of the physical Yeah, they don't think we should themselves. be able to carry the equipment in because oh. it weighs two tons. tons. It weighs yeah. two tons. And that actually goes back to the old days when uh, the Iceman was in play. And uh, there was a, it was a measurement when they have an, an, an ice house, how many tons, how much heat would it take to melt a ton of ice? Oh, is that right? Absolutely. It goes right back to wow. that, that whole era. And so I will tell you that a, a, it's a measurement of a ton. It's the cooling power that you have available to you. I will tell you that uh, in New England, anyways, you need a ton of cooling for every six to seven hundred square feet of space. Is a typical thing with these modern houses that are getting super tight. We could go up to eight hundred or a thousand, but the typical house built here, and so it's got nothing to do with the weight of the equipment. It's a question of the size. And I want to caution you on this issue of tonnage. You want to get the right amount of cooling power. More is not better. More is not better. Everybody says, oh, how much for a two-ton system? Okay, how much for a three-ton system? And then when you tell them a three-ton, they say, well, take that as if they're getting a deal. Right. And if, but the, if the load, if what the building needs is two tons, if you put in one that's 30% too big, it's the worst thing you could ever do. Because it the, never turns it's off. It's on and off. No, it it's cycles. on and it's off. It's on and it's off. And it never stays on long enough to actually pull out the humidity. So now you've got cold but no humidity removal. And half the battle to be comfortable is to get that humidity level to a reasonable, reasonable You get that place. cold, clammy feeling that's right. all the time. That's right. Yeah, right. That's, so that's, that's a great tons, point. Yeah. Now, let's talk about some newer systems that are out there. I mean, not so much newer to the world, because these have been used in Europe for decades at this point, but we're starting to see them more widely distributed in the States, and that's the system called the ductless mini-split unit. Right, right. So uh, it, some, the acronym that some people call it is DFS, duct-free split, and uh, ductless mini-splits. And you've seen them. They read like the who's who of Asian manufacturing. They'll have a cassette up on the high sidewall, or they can be ducted. And uh, unlike the other typical uh, domestic systems we already had, which was a furnace with a series of ductwork going through to every room right. and returns from each room, and you try to balance it, and it would never have the exact temperature you wanted to, duct-free splits allow you to have either a single box outside connected to a single box inside. And all you have to run between them is two relatively small refrigerant lines and electricity. Or you can have a single box outside and up to four or five, or in the commercial world, you could have a hundred different inside boxes connected to one. And now you can get localized zoning, quiet, 
uh, really efficient, uh, both heating and cooling. So lots, lots of things to know when you are purchasing a new HVAC system. Yeah. Fortunately, we've got Richard Trefui from TV's This Old House to help us sort out all of this alphabet soup. Richard, thank you so much yeah. for stopping by the Money Pit. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah, just always say the ner- name Merv, and everybody will love Merv. <laughs> right? Merv, got it. <laughs> all right. Catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And This Old House and Ask This Old House are brought to you on PBS by GMC. GMC, we are professional grade. Just ahead, are you planning to give yourself the gift of a new kitchen this coming year? There are four things you should know to look for that can spell the difference between cabinets that are well-made and those that are just not. We'll share those secrets after this. You live in a body pit. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Happy holidays. Give us a call right now with your home improvement question. We're here to help at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Well, there's a new kitchen in your plan for 2017. It's a big project that can be made a lot easier if you know what to look for when you're shopping for those kitchen cabinets. ClickStudios.com, great company. They manufacture and sell well-made, durable cabinets that are going to last. And I think the features of the ClickStudio.com cabinets provide a good example of what makes a good quality cabinet. Yeah, you know, first you want to look at the drawers. Now, well-made drawers are going to use dovetail joints. This really is an age-old cabinet builder's technique that literally locks the sides of the drawers together so that they can stand up to the test of the ages. You know, those dovetail joints, when they're done right, you almost don't even need any glue. The box is just so strong as a result of the joinery itself. Now, speaking of strong boxes, you want to look at that cabinet box next. It ought to be made out of plywood, not particle board. Plywood cabinets are really strong. They hold up to wear and tear, and they last in the long run. You know, and over the years, I've had to rip out many a kitchen. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, the ones that had plywood are the one, are just as sturdy as the day they went in. If it's particle board, they fall apart. You can't get them off the wall. But the plywood ones, rock solid. In fact, I even hate to throw them away and usually find a place to donate them to. Yeah, that's a really smart idea, Tom, because they do last so long, you want to give them a second life. Next, check out the hinges and the drawer glides. These should be soft closed. Now, what that means is that the doors and the drawers can't be slammed shut. They sort of close to a point and then softly close the rest of the way. And that's going to save on wear and tear. Now, lastly, you want to look for these certifications. KCMA, that's the Kitchen Cabinet Manufacturers Association, and CARB2. ClickStudios.com cabinets carry both. And that, I think that speaks to their commitment to the quality of the cabinet construction and their adherence to strict environmental responsibility. For example, the standards that the KCMA puts out for drawers, I think this is indicative of why these, this, is, this is so important. They have to stand up to being loaded to 15 pounds per square foot and then opened and closed 25,000 times, 25,000 times. I think that's more than even my kids used to open and close the drawers in a day. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, guys, the other thing that I love about Click Studios is that they have professional designers who work with every customer and they do a free cabinet design. And as a special offer to Money Pit listeners, you can download a free design guide put together by our friends from this old house by visiting clickstudios.com slash free today. That's right. Just go to clickstudios.com slash free to get the free This Old House guide and start planning your new designer kitchen. That's cliqstudios.com slash free. Doug in Rhode Island's on the line with a flooring question. Tell us about your project. Yeah, I'm considering uh, pulling out some carpeting and putting in a floating floor, but I'm I'm looking for a good quality, something that would be have a decent thickness and also the possibility to be refinished need need be in 10 years or whatever. Is there something like that? Well, with the floating floor, I mean, I think if you're looking for something that has the potential to be refinished, you're going to want to look at an engineered hardwood because that's going to assemble the same way that a laminate would. And it's also going to be structurally stable if you're looking for flooring to go in a space maybe below grade or in a room that might have a higher moisture content. But the difference between a laminate, which you cannot refinish, and an engineered hardwood is an engineered hardwood is going to be a base of a plywood. So you're going to have the opposing layers of the grain so that it'll be structurally stable. And then the topmost layer is the actual hardwood. And so you're able to resand it, you know, depending on the manufacturer, a couple of times, up to five times. It really depends on which one and the thickness of that top layer. And that will give you the opportunity to do so when and if you need it down the line. Yeah, is there a particular name that you'd recommend? Or? Yeah, take a look at the products that are available at Lumber Liquidators. They have a very good selection uh, in all lines of, of durability as well. Okay, great. Listen, I appreciate that. Thank you for your time. Well, the holiday lights are up, but they're going to be coming down and getting packed away very soon. We're going to share some tips on how to store your decorations safely so that they'll work next year after this. The Money Pit is presented by ClickStudios.com, the smarter way to get a designer kitchen. Visit ClickStudios.com slash free and get a free copy of their Kitchen Cabinets Buyer's Guide, produced in partnership with This Old House. That's CLIQStudios.com forward slash free. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And it is officially the ho-ho home improvement time of the year. It's the time when you're doing a lot of ho-ho, but you're not maybe not doing as much home improvement. But we know that you're thinking about it for the year ahead. So give us a call. Shoot us an email at 888-MONEY-PIT. Please, you probably got a stack of gift cards to all those fun decor places and you're ready to get to work. So let us know what you're working on and let us know how we can give you a hand. All right, we've got a post here from Claire who writes, every year when I hang my holiday lights, it always seems that one or two strands doesn't work. Is there anything I should be doing to protect the lights when I put them away in a couple of weeks so that they last until next season? I think it's always amazing, first of all, that when you, the lights work when you took them off the tree or off the wall or the house, but then somehow mysteriously over the next 12 months, they stop working. And when you try to plug them back in, you know, you get a situation where a string is out or certainly bulbs are out. And I think the key is that when you take them off the house or off the tree, you need to really pack them carefully. And what I found is the best way to do that, you can get some of these um, hangers where, where you can wrap the string around it. It's kind of like an H-shaped piece of plastic that they sell for holiday lights 
where you sit, you can rewrap the lights in that sort of circle around the hanger, or you can just do it with a piece of cardboard so that the string is fairly secure and tight, but not too tight. And then you want to place those in your boxes to be put away for the season. Don't put the lights in too loose because sometimes just dropping them in the box and taking them out is enough to knock one bulb loose. And with the way most of these lights are wired, if one bulb is loose, the whole string is dead. Now, I always love the fact that when you buy these lights, it says if one light goes out, the whole string is not affected. Well, that's true if it burns out, but they almost never burn out. What happens is they get loose in the socket, and when that happens, the whole string stops working. So I think if you use uh, one of these hangers, one of these cord wraps to put the cord around and make it nice and tight, when you put it away, you have a much more better chance of them uh, working well next year. All right, next up, we've got a post here from Mike in New York who writes, I keep seeing backsplash is made of small half-inch glass tile. Would it be cost-effective to cut those tiles myself rather than buying them in sheets? Oh, geez, Louise, I'm going to say no. If you start cutting these tiles yourself, first of all, you're not going to guarantee that they're going to be properly shaped. Second of all, you're probably going to end up with so much waste just from trying to get them to be a half-inch square. And then maybe or maybe not, you'll end up with the same amount of fingers you started with. I'm just saying, I think really the best thing is to buy those sheets. You know, they come in 12-inch square or 18-inch square sheets that are already on the mesh backing. They're already laid out for you. And then you just go ahead and put your adhesive on and put the tiling sheet onto that. Let that set. And then you can go ahead and grout it. If you want something more customizable, there is a designer that I've worked with for a gajillion years. Her name is Susan Jablon. And she's got an online website. And you can custom pick all of those little half-inch square tiles and create your your own color palette, totally up to you. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Hey, we hope that you are having a magnificent holiday today, this weekend, and for all the days beyond as we celebrate this wonderful season together with your family and your friends. We are your friends, and we are going to be here 24-7 to help you today, tomorrow, and hopefully for a very long time at 888 Pits. Remember, as you are thinking about next year and what you want to do in your home, if the idea comes to mind, the question comes to mind, you need some advice, give us a call right then and there at 888 Pit. If we're not in the studio, our gift to you is that we'll call you back the next time we are. That's all the time we have this hour. The show does continue online. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 